I'm Bub. Welcome to Bub on Purpose, the podcast. I believe that a life driven by purpose can lead to a more fulfilling life. So I ask passionate people why they do what they do. I dive deep into conversations with people of all ages who have developed their life purpose and who can inspire, offer advice, share techniques for developing purpose, and articulate their perspectives. As this podcast is in the early stages, I'm really just excited to dive in and learn myself and share that with you guys. So if you're here in this early stage, I really appreciate you for listening and I hope you take away something valuable. It's not just this generation's fault that they feel so lost and that they're all trying to find their calling but can't. You've just been given more opportunities than anyone else ever had before. You have to try to look for something deeper than the culturally constructed. There's urgency to this passion thing, so I think you're really on to something. We're talking about whether we survive on the planet or not. I would live my life as if I was going to write a book about it. What would people say about me at my funeral? You really have to have a healthy disrespect for other people's opinion. Life is not this guarantee. We're in, there's no guarantee in life. The truck runs me down right after this interview. I've fucking died doing everything I could possibly have done. The voice inside of you that's asking those questions deserves to be honored. That's your truth. That's your clarity. That's your passion. In this episode of Bub on Purpose, I speak with Brian Pape. Brian is the founder of Mirror, a product-to-project company, meaning every product they sell helps fund trackable giving projects. Currently, they primarily sell drinkware, which helps fund sustainable nonprofit clean water projects. He is someone who I see as leading a purposeful life by improving the lives of others. So... I'm here with Brian Pape, founder of Mirror, and I could give a give a rundown of what Mirror is, but can you give me a one minute spiel on yeah. what Mirror is? Yeah, sure. I'll give you the spiel. So the 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 quick spiel on Mirror uh, is that we we are a social enterprise, uh, an active lifestyle brand. We're, we're a lot of different things, but but at our essence, our mission is to empower people for a better future. And that comes across multifold, but at its core, uh, we make amazing products that help fund trackable giving projects. Primarily right now we're in drinkware. Uh, we've sold backpacks. Uh, we're kind of revamping backpacks right now. Um, in our history, we've sold bicycles, we've sold journals, we've sold a lot of other products. So we've, we've dabbled, we've tinkered, um, but we've kind of fa- found a good success um, pathway within the, the insulated drinkware market um, and launched it in 2010. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I'll come back to some of those things, but I wanted yeah. to maybe be able to catch you off guard. But what is your earliest memory? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think probably one of my earliest memories. So I was born in Boise, Idaho. Uh, and then we moved at age three to Portland, Oregon for four years. And I vaguely remember my parents had this these like sandboxes outside of our house that we grew up in Boise. And I remember playing in the sand, like having a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And then we moved and Portland was rainy and we didn't have a sandbox and I was pissed. <laughs> um, and then we moved back to Boise, that same house, like four years later. 
And I remember being really excited about sandboxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if it was my first one, but it's like that's one that I like I remember. Yeah, I I was just thinking of that question recently, actually, because I think or I guess I'm curious as if it if your earliest experiences that you remember have an impact longer term. Totally. So Creation, yeah. Design building things. Yeah. Smell. It's this my team would laugh at this comment, but smell is really important to me. And mm. so my my parents had a cedar planked, I think it was cedar, um, closet. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, I'm totally blanking. Now I'm like second guessing myself. I think it was cedar. Anyway, um, it was like a thing to do. It was like your closet was cedar or something for, I don't know, to like prevent moths or I can't remember why. But anyway, that smell of like cedar plank to me is just like brings me way back, yeah. way back. But I don't find that crazy. I also smell for me and i think someone's told me recently that it is like sensorially uh one of the biggest triggers of memory and i'm often like walking down the street and i smell and even like trash or like a incinerator or something like brings me back to when i was young like driving past a incinerator in california or whatnot totally totally yeah like there's uh my grandparents when we lived in portland they lived in portland as well and they had they had moved into a fairly new um, condo building, and the the stair stairwell was that mixture of like freshly poured concrete drywall and taped drywall, and so that smell of like new construction to me always reminds me of like learning how to swim with my grandfather. So it's like a very fond memory. So mm-hmm. people are like, people will be weird, but like I'll walk into a new building or you know I'll be in a parking garage and I'm like. <sighs> Uh, you know like, what are you doing <laughs> yeah I think, I think people have said the same to me that's funny yeah um how did you end up where you are today are there moments that you recognize as having a pivotal role in guiding you to where you are today uh I mean for sure I think there's a lot of things um you know it's interesting to think about you know what decisions where you go to, you know, big pivotal decisions. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really choose where you live. It's kind of up to like what your parents and that's out of your control. But, you know, where you go to college, sometimes it was within your control. Um, So I think that for me, choosing to come to Seattle uh, was a huge pivotal moment for me in my life. And, you know, if I would have have chosen to go somewhere else or be in another another, um, state, you know, I think certainly my life would look a lot differently. But then there's like fundamental principles where it's like, at my core, I think I work very hard. I have, a, I have a good work ethic, and that was part of just my upbringing and, and who I was, who I am as a, as a person. So, regardless of like California, Missouri, Seattle, wherever, I think a path to like building a business probably would have happened regardless mm-hmm. um, of where I went to school, if that makes sense. But then all the things that do happen, you know, kind of along the way, inform inform who you are today. Certainly, like my wife and I met in college, right? So if I go to a different college. Would I have the kids that I have today? Probably not, but yeah. I'd probably still have kids, you know? So um, the decisions that were, like, really big in my life were, like, where I went to school, what I chose to do in school and then after school, um, who I married, who I chose to be friends with, um, choosing to start a business. Uh, I think people forget how many choices they do have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like some people let life happen to them, but even in that circumstance, you're choosing not to do something or to do something. Do you have a way of thinking or making decisions that is different than others you think um 
I think so. like it's hard to be like I love to be conscious in the decision making process. I think it's I become very uh, like sometimes you can just skate through life or just like moments where it's just a blur and you're not even thinking about what you're ordering or or the impacts or the people around you. Whether you're like so focused on something that you're dealing with or you just kind of it's easy to kind of be not numb, but just kind of like do the things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think. Maybe the difference between myself and others is that. I I'm very analytical about the decisions I'm going to make and how that's going to impact me and, and what I want to have for the future anyway. Mm-hmm. Would you, well, I have a couple things I want to ask, but one is I came across you giving a speech on sort of your pathway and you talked about two things. One was leaving a legacy of generosity. Yeah. And the second was sort of the catalyst to that. Do you mind yeah. Telling me a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a huge, that was a moment that happened to me in my life. And then what I chose to do with that moment affected where I, the outcome, right? So, uh, in 2006, uh, skiing at Stevens Pass, I was in a bad skiing accident. I was filming for the mountain. Um, we were, we were making a promotional campaign, um, for them. And, uh, one event led to another where I ended up hitting a tree, broke my femur, uh, right in half, clean break. And when you break your femur, you can you can bleed to death in essentially 10 or 15 minutes if you hit your femoral artery, which, which, which is, is like the main year. artery that runs down your leg. So it basically connects your upper half and lower half yeah. uh, or like, you know, the blood to your, to your feet, obviously, and everything else. Um, and it's interesting because like if I like people are like, well, what, how did you know that at the time of the accident? Right. Yeah. So my roommate had done something earlier, two years earlier. He had been in a bad skin accident, broke his femur. And that is how he survived came back from the hospital and was like, Hey, never break your femur because you can bleed to death in about 10 or 15 minutes if you hear from an artery. So it was one of those things where like, sometimes ignorance is bliss Mm. where like, you're like, Oh, this is really bad. It's hurt. It's painful. But like, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and it's interesting because in reflection of the accident. So I knew that there was this opportunity for a, for a, like a near death or like a death experience. And so that was this like super reflective mode in my life where I'm sitting against a tree, my leg is broken in half am I going to live? Am I not? Am I going to get out of the situation? I, I didn't necessarily panic. Cause I knew like if it had happened, there's not much I can do. I'm in this like horrible situation. So I got very reflective and I was like, well, you know, what would I change about my life? Mm. And at that moment I had been dating my now wife. We've been dating for three years. And I thought, wow, I would like, she is amazing. I should marry this woman. And so a year later we ended up getting married. Uh, the second thing was what would people say about me at my funeral? And that really struck me because I realized I had been so focused on myself, kind of just like living through life, just trying to make money, trying to like make a name for myself. It was all about me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that's like, I don't want to, I don't want to go out of this world just being about me. And so that was a moment for me to reflect on my life and how do I like improve others' lives through my life. And that was something that just growing up, that's how I was raised. I I observed my grandparents doing um, very generous things. So that was, that was part of that reflection. Um, And then upon, completing the whole journey of getting from the mountain to the hospital. What's interesting is that during that whole process, while I didn't hit the femoral artery mm-hmm. traction is the process where it separates the leg so that, cause like when you break your bone, um, it breaks and then your muscles contract. So they overlap. Mm-hmm. And so while it's overlapping your, your bone is kind of just free willy nilly. Right. Well, that can be really dangerous if you're transporting a, 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 a body like to and from an ambulance in and out of the ambulance in and out of the x-ray room. So like all those are opportunities for you to hit your femoral artery. Wow. And so what's crazy is like ski patrol did on the mountain, didn't do traction. I got in the ambulance. They didn't do traction. We got down to the Monroe hospital. They didn't do traction. 
they had a new x-ray tech and they took me in and out of the x-ray room three times because they couldn't get the x-rays right. Wow. So you can imagine my leg is broken. I'm barely on drugs. They gave, finally, when I got to Monroe, they gave me like more powerful drugs, but they still had to like take me off the gurney onto the x-ray thing, kind of roll me around, tons of pain, put me back onto it three times in another room. And they're trying to say, hey, we have this, we have this surgeon who can, uh, we have a pediatric surgeon or not pediatric, but um, um, <laughs> I'm totally, that's, I, I'm such a dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pediatric is what I take my kids to. Um, uh, orthopedic, that's the yeah. word. They had an orthopedic surgeon on call and, and we're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing this. Monroe, uh, for, for those listening, is a really small hospital outside of Seattle or a small community. And so we're like, no, 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 we're going to Seattle, we're going to Swedish. So the Swedish ambulance comes and they're looking around. They're like, wait, has nobody done traction on this person? And everybody's like, oh, no, we thought ski, like kind of everybody was blaming everybody else. And um, so they're like, this is like we're not transporting him until we do traction. So then as you can imagine, as like muscles continue to shrink over hours, yeah. it's even worse. And so we had to go through traction before we get in the ambulance. So anyway, they did do traction and it felt better. And, but looking back, it's, it's ironic that like throughout that whole journey, there was still more opportunity for, for a, a bigger accident. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it didn't happen. So anyway, that was a, a long way of that. <laughs> yeah. That's hectic. How you said you were reflective in the moment. But how much of it do you think was in that moment versus the days, weeks, years after that, that you were able to recognize that it was the generosity that you were missing maybe? Yeah. I mean, I think it was pretty much like in that moment because I think I, I idolized certainly my grandfather who had passed away in, in 96, the legacy that he had lived and to like be, to be so face to face with death. And to realize that nobody at my funeral would have said anything about me helping my community mm. struck me because I, I wanted to be there, but I wasn't there. I wasn't at a spot where like I had done anything for anybody. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like almost immediate of like, whoa, I got to like life is fragile. It's precious. You got to take it like you got to if you want to affect change, like you got to do it. You can't just wait until you're like 60 to start being generous, yeah, you know, like yeah. you have to start serving people day in and day out. So that moment was like very clarifying for me. Then practically it was, okay, how do I use my skills and my talents, you know, to help others? Um, I was involved in another company um, from 2006, 2009. We ended up selling that. And then after we sold that company, um, that's when I ended up starting Mir. And that was my opportunity where it's like, I started the company. It was my vision, my passion to have this merge between philanthropy and business. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly that moment was a catalyst for me. Jeez. That's yeah, powerful realization. Um, we'll come back to Mir a little bit in a little bit, but whether it's fortunate or luck or bad, whatever, yeah, yeah. to have had that experience, for those of us, those people that don't have that moment of being waken up, how do you how do you see I don't know if mocking up yeah, events yeah. or how do we get people yeah. How, having had that experience, how would you recommend getting people to see life in a different way? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I joke, you know, if you like, we can all imagine Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Like huge, mm -hmm. the whole, or not the Hulk, but um, uh, he's he's played many characters, Maui, um, on Moana. Mm -hmm. I always joke, like you can imagine him like snapping your femur in half, right? So like mm -hmm. picture the rock snapping your femur in half and you have 10 minutes left in your life, you know? So you can like, you can practice visualizing yeah, that. Totally. It's obviously hard when you're not in that situation. Yeah. And I think, and it's hard when someone around you isn't touched by an accident or people around you aren't sick. Uh, it's a little bit more 
difficult to do that. But as I've gone throughout life, I've realized, you know, with, with, um, like my mother-in-law passing away last summer unexpectedly from cancer, you know, you have these experiences with friends getting sick. The friend who was with me when I broke my leg ended up passing a few years later in a ski avalanche, um, mm. as Stevens passed. And Jeez. so you have these experiences and moments where you're like, wow, you know, life is not this guarantee We're in, there's no guarantee in life. Life is not fair. There's no, there's no guarantees in it. And so knowing those two factors and just observing the world around you, I think it's prudent to be reflective upon your life to make changes day in and day out. And I think the, the, the fallacy in our culture or whatever is that you have to make these giant sweeping changes like, Oh, if I want to be generous, I got to go make a billion dollar company and then do good. Right. And I think that it's like, imagine we have this earth and there's 7 billion people. This will never happen because it's 7 billion people. But like, imagine all 7 billion people being like, you know what? I am going to pick up that piece of trash today on the walk from my house to my place of, work or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so like those tangible things, it's like, what difference can I make as one individual? Well, collectively, if multiple individuals are making a similar choice, there's going to be positive impact. Um, so I would agree. It's hard to, (coughs) excuse me. It's hard to like get in that mindset, but when you start thinking about the future and what you want to do as a human, all you have to do is look around and look at car accidents every day, you know, tragedies that happen every single day, you know, yeah. and, and not to live out of fear, but just to live out of like, Hey, it's, it's, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be around tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's well put. And I think the, it, it almost comes back to ref, that moment of reflection that everyone's going to have an opportunity or an event that makes them reflect, but then it's, up to us to take the time to reflect totally. and ask that question like you asked yeah. yourself. Yeah, I mean, it can, I think it can, I think moments of tragedy or clarity can happen in many different circumstances. You get fired from a job or you're in a job that you don't like, you mm-hmm. know, and you're complaining about it. And uh, I think the biggest impact that people can have is is surrounding yourself with people that either are like not above you, but like you look at successful people and they hang out with other successful people, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not like you have to go find successful people, but like if you're hanging around, a very practical example is like if you're hanging around like a ton of people who just complain all the time, chances are like you're probably like the science says that like you're going to complain a lot too, you mm-hmm. know, like you're a product of your surroundings. Obviously, there's people that break out of their surroundings who are like around extreme poverty and they like break out for whatever reason, you know, smarts, talent um, or whatever it is, extreme desire. They they go on to do incredible things too, but I would say at a, at a at a at a high level, you can affect change just by affecting like who you hang out with and how you choose to look at each day. Like mm-hmm. that's the great part is you can wake up today and like be super bummed that it's raining, or you can be super pumped that you're alive that yeah. you're alive and that the ground is getting watered to to grow plants. You know, at the most basic level. Yeah, totally. On that note, I planted <laughs> I planted some grass in my backyard in Brooklyn. Nice. And before, like, I mean, I would bike through the rain and whatnot. I was like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And then as soon as I planted grass and we didn't have a hose, so I had no way to water it, but it was spring and it was raining. And so every time it rained, I was like, ah, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, I was so happy just because I was seeing the same thing in a different way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopping on Tamir, how did you, well, because you had the vision I guess a renewed vision maybe of what you wanted to do. Yeah. But how'd you select or how'd you choose water bottles for lack of a better description? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. So 
think right around the time we were selling Little Hotties hand warmers, Rick, who started that company, um, he and I were doing hand warmer testing at REI in their testing facility. So like Eric made hand warmers when you go skiing and hiking and all that. Um, and because the REI was trying to understand why a hand warmer performs differently in a ski glove versus a, a jean pocket versus a fleece pocket. And it all has to do with airflow. Like basically a hand warmer is the thermodynamics behind it. It's oxidation. So it's a rusting, it's an accelerated rusting process. Mm. So, so the water, the oxygen, so there's water inside of a, a, a hand warmer. There's activated charcoal, iron. And once the oxygen from out here in the, in the atmosphere touches it, it accelerates and that's what creates the heat. So it all depends on airflow. So if you put, if you open a hand warmer and then throw it in a Ziploc bag, it's going to get hot and then it's going to shut down. Mm-hmm. So you can actually like save a hand warmer. Let's, I mean, oh, really? it's kind of ridiculous. If you think about <laughs> it, but like a hand warmer lasts for eight hours. So if you opened it for two hours and, and you wanted to save it, you could like put it into a Ziploc bag and it would shut it down. It would kill it. Hmm. And then you open it back up again, it'll start rusting again. Um, and so you might not get the same performance because um, of the moisture secretion and all this other stuff. But anyway, long story short, <laughs> uh, we were at REI testing this and then they had all these water bottles on their counter from, you know, SIG, Clean Canteen, Stanley, Thermos, Nalgene. Uh, uh, SIG and Nalgene were kind of the really popular ones in 2009. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. What are you all doing? And they said, oh, you know, we're testing water bottles. We're just trying to figure out, like, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, we're really not really – we're not really impressed with any of the results. And I was like, go on. You know, mm. sounds interesting. I said, well, you know, the SIG bottle, it, it was formerly used for camping. It was a fuel canister that you would, you know, plug your backpacking stove into with white gas and mm-hmm. it would run your stove. Well, that's interesting. Why did it become a bottle? It looked cool. It was from Switzerland. Um, however, it's made out of aluminum and then there's a plastic coating on the inside because you can't have water touching aluminum because it's not safe. Um, so that's interesting. Why, what about, so it kind of like this bottle be, was an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, Nalgene, which is uh, owned by Thermo Fisher Scientific. So now like they make like beakers and medical stuff. And so like Nalgene outdoor kind of became this like accident as well mm-hmm. where they were taking these like test tubes, with the lid and became a bottle. And it's a good product. Um, very, you know, I grew up with Nalgene's backpacking, very light. It works. It holds water, but the mouth opening was so big that we drink from it. You spill water on your face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, totally like the lid hits you in the face. You get water on your face. You have to buy a secondary adapter to put it in there to make it drinkable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Um, so all of their kind of findings were just like, meh, there's not really a great bottle out there. And I thought, oh, I could probably make a water bottle. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the groundwork for studying the market, realizing that there wasn't really a simple, functional, well-designed water bottle with the, inten- with the intended pers- purpose to drink water, which sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But that was just kind of like the way it was. That was the way it was in 2009. Um, so I took those findings and then married that with my passion of wanting to do business and philanthropy and then bottles become the, the vehicle um, or the vessel for, for that process. Um, so that was, and then, and then, you know, with a water bottle, we stumbled into the clean water crisis where close to a billion people in, in 2009 lacked access to clean water or selling water bottles. Let's give to clean water. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so that was kind of the, the beginnings. When you were looking how to do good and I guess from a water bottle to giving clean water is yeah. fairly direct. How'd you know where to start or where'd you, where'd you go from there? I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I just remember anytime I get like really excited about something, I just like, I just go head into like research mode and just, I was like researching world vision and cost of wells and what's good and what's bad. And, 
you know, really the, the results were somewhat astounding in that, like all of these, this money had been dumped in the clean water in Africa as far as like building wells, but many of them were broken. And it mm. was because people were just going into a community, drilling the well and then leaving. And then like, if it breaks, then they didn't know who to contact or what to do. You know, it was like this, this broken model. So yeah. then I realized it was about really good partner selection. And so we, we I stumbled across Charity Water, um, which is another funny story, but essentially uh, found out about Charity Water in New York, a uh, great nonprofit Scott started and just started funding projects with them. Wanted to go on a, on a trip with them, a donor trip, uh, just to experience, because I had never experienced life without clean water. And I yeah. thought, well, it feels a little disingenuous to like Get, to dude. fund this without even knowing what what the problem is, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I can see the problem, I can empathize, but I don't know really. I haven't met anybody that has this problem. And so they were like, hey, we don't do donor trips. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. And then um, through a friend of a friend, we ended up going to Liberia, um, where this guy, Darl, had been building uh, clean water projects for like 10 years at the time. And so we went in there and, and his model was he actually had a, a, a local Liberian who was doing all his work in Buchanan, Liberia. So we ended up partnering with them, mm -hmm. put in a couple of water projects um, about a year into, into the, or it was about six months of, of operating the company that we went over to Liberia, um, built two wells, learned a ton. Um, and that really was kind of like this, this is beginning for us. Yeah, very cool. I like the process to getting that. And also it seems that you were aware of other um ways of giving that weren't the best way of giving so you kind totally. of found your own route along the way yeah and i think you know that the human human race has, has, has evolved a lot you know we're constantly learning and figuring things out i mean even in our own business it's like oh that didn't work or you know that was a horrible way of going about it we should probably figure this out a different way same with clean water you know a lot of people are moving from rural to urban. Mm. And so even how clean water is now provided within cities, we work with um, Splash and they're in um, Addis um, in Ethiopia and, and, and same with Kathmandu, Nepal. And so a lot of these um, cities have pipes and water, but they're still, it's still dirty water. It's still contaminated with bacteria and other things. So mm. partnering with them, building filtration systems in schools to make sure that when kids are drinking the water, at the school, they're not getting more sick from contaminated water. So yeah. it's, it's going from like, oh, people are drinking out of rivers, which is still true. And there's like definitely a, a need for people in rural areas, but there's even a, gro a more growing need to have filtration within cities to get water that's piped clean before you consume it, mm -hmm. which I didn't even imagine in 2010. Yeah, geez. <coughs> that's, yeah, it's, I guess from where I'm standing, it's like, if you look too broadly, it's hard to know, like a lot of people want to help, but it's almost overwhelming to know where to help. So it seems good how you just started narrowing and narrowing and narrowing and you're like, oh, this is a problem that we can help fix. Yeah. Um, but coming back to you describing when you get super excited about something. Um, you just dive right into it. What What are you currently thinking about right now that excites you? Like whether it's yeah. related to Mir or the net what's after Mir or whatnot. Yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> personally I I love um, <clears throat> excuse me I'm, getting, I'm just getting over cold. The um, I love I love city I love urban life but I also love being in nature. And so my wife and I we we bought some land a few years ago. I'm in Eastern Washington. Middle of nowhere, there's nothing around, there's no people around, it's, it's amazing. Um, and so 
we built a cabin and a lot of the big stuff that like I could, like I, I have no idea how to pour a foundation, mm-hmm. no idea. Um, so we contracted that out. Right. But I wanted to learn a new skill. And so, uh, my buddy Kyle helped, uh, and Wes helped me wire up the whole cabin. So I learned how to like, I learned electricity, I learned code, I learned amperage and wattage and how you run stuff. And so that was like a new skill. And then that was a rabbit hole of like, oh, well, I want to do the siding. I want to do this and I want to do that. And so it kind of was just like this ongoing project. But it's a lot of people approach, I think, homeownership like, oh, I got to paint the, the house or I have to do this thing. And it's like this drag. I, I look forward to the projects where it's, you know, oh, if we're going to get a hot tub, great. How do I wire? Okay, cool. I need a 40 amp of the main panel because the hot tub is a 33 amp. Uh, but I need the sub panel for the switch, you know, so they just like kind of go down these rabbit holes of like researching it. And then I'm, I'm really uh, like, uh, like OCD about how things are like run and look, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's about like really good wire runs and like keeping it clean and not sloppy kind (laughs) of like, you know, Apple, their laptops, you open up and it's beautiful, right? You open a PC and it's kind of just like a disaster, you know, (laughs) Um, or there's probably a lot better now, but you know, that was kind of the mantra with Apple is that Steve wanted everything inside the computer to look really well designed because it mattered to him. Yeah. Same thing. I know it's behind all the walls. So I wanted to like, yeah, you know, matter. Um, so that's like, personally, that's, that's something that's like really fun for me. And then it's also fun because my daughter, she's three now, but she helps out in fun ways mm. where, you know, we'll be building cabinets or, uh, you know, putting furniture together and she's, she got it. She's had a screwdriver and she's like helping out, um, yeah. old school analog fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the- into records and music. Um, I am, I am not musically talented whatsoever, but I just, I love music and I love the process of how people create music. So I'm fascinated by that as well. Briefly on music. I was, I was thinking about it yesterday, just how it's totally another language. And I mean, there's many languages within music, but I, I have had the urge to improve my Spanish recently, Yeah, but also even recognizing that music or language they expand your mind and they help you think in a new way yeah and so it's like where where are those moments or where where are those learning opportunities and sort of like you're talking about with your house it's like you change your perspective it's like oh shoot what can i learn from this building this house rather than like oh that's the boring part like totally yeah. Well, and there's so many things where I was like, oh my gosh, I totally should have thought it like, you don't know until you don't know. Like, so that's part of the beauty of learning. Learning is like, you can learn by just watching and reading. You can learn by like apprenticing. You can learn by doing over and over and over again, you know, more at bats. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to have a lot of at bats at building houses unless yeah. you're in construction. And so there's many things where I was like, you know, if I just would have thought a little bit more about how this all would have gone down, I could have done a lot better here. Like as an example, our hood vent for over our oven sticks out like three quarters of an inch because I had to build a custom backer because the way the mounting plates were, they didn't match up with the studs. Yeah. But my neighbor who's a custom home builder was like, he's like, well, you, you know, you could have just like put a two by six in the studs and like connected it before you put the drywall. And then you would have had like this massive thing to mount to. And I was like, <laughs> no, of course, of course. I, I, now you, you, know, know. you know, now I know. So stuff like that. It's just like, oh man, just thinking a little bit more would have gone a long way. But yeah, the that kind of translates or transitions well to my next question. Yeah. But in terms of looking back and wishing you'd done something differently, maybe if your 20 year old self was sitting over there in the corner, yeah, yeah. what would you, what advice would you give him? 
Oh man, I, I feel like I'm, I, I move really fast, um, which is good and bad, right? Like in business, we move really quick. Um, for the most part, it's an advantage, I think, over competitors who are bigger and slower. Um, but sometimes just like slowing down a little bit. And one of our, one of our advisors, um, Dennis Madsen, he would always tell me, he's like, Brian, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know? So just like having that long-term perspective of, okay, let's, let's make the proper decision up front, even though it might take longer because it'll have a multiplied effect down the road. Um, so probably just like, let me just slow down just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're here in his office in Seattle. And I reckon, or I saw when I walked in, you guys have a meditation room over there. Yeah, yeah. Do you meditate or how did you decide to put that in? Yeah, uh, that was actually uh, my, uh, my first assistant, Jess, uh, who has since moved on to our sales team. Um, we had this like extra room. So she was like, hey, we should have a, a meditation room in there. So it's, it's kind of the multi-purpose meditation room mother's room. Um, we have, we have, uh, a couple of moms, my wife works at Mir as well. Uh, you know, so obviously they have to, they have to pump when they're at work if they're still breastfeeding. So it's kind of this multi-purpose room, but, um, I'm like, all, like on and off with meditation. I've been interested with, um, do you, do you follow, um, I'm, I just blanked on his name. Would you, uh, uh Sam Harris by chance? Not no. Sam, but, um, the Iceman, uh, Wim, Wim Hof. Hof. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've done Wim Hof for a while. I've taken cold showers for almost a year now. Um, and that one is like really fascinating because the physiological change in your body uh, is fascinating to me. Um, and what what is just it? crazy. Wim Hof has this whole like breathing technique where it's just like you basically, it's, it's essentially like hyperventilating without like passing out. Um, and he goes to like the extreme of how you can do it. But if you just take like a little bit of it, of just kind of like hyperventilating slightly and then holding your breath, like I don't recommend this without watching what he does. Um, but you, you're essentially just listening to yourself breathe. And then it's just this very calming, uh, first you're kind of like panicked because you're like holding your breath. But if you do it, you do these 30 breaths and you hold your breath, you, you know, as somebody who, who might not be trained, uh, or if I don't do it for a week or two, you'll hold your breath for 30 seconds to a minute. You do it once and then you do it again. You can almost like double your lung capacity and hold your breath in a very short time, like mm-hmm. five minutes. And then you can do it a third time and it'll extend even further. And so people who do this like regularly, like free divers, I mean, they can hold their breath for five plus minutes, which is wild. Um, so that that is certainly one of them. Um, what yeah. what have you noticed from the cold showers? Anything? Yeah, I think so. So far, health. Like I have two kids. Um, the one goes to preschool, so it's like a petri dish. Um, and I, I it's funny because I'm I'm just getting over a cold, but I haven't I literally haven't been sick in about a year, mm-hmm. which is crazy because in Seattle when it's gray, it's it's cold. It's just it's not pleasant in the winter sometimes. <laughs> that can um, you can get colds like fairly easily, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially with kids, they have germs everywhere and they bring germs all the place, you know, all all over. So um, I've noticed. I didn't get sick this winter. I just got a cold, but so I don't know. I feel like the health benefits. And then I think mentally, I think there's a bit of mental toughness that comes out of it because you take, so I'm not like, some people just take like pure cold showers, like 100% cold showers. I'm not that hardcore. I take a nice like two to five minute warm shower, get clean. And then I flip it to cold for about a minute. Mm -hmm. And it's really shocking to go from hot to cold and it kind of catches your breath, but it's a matter of like, where does your mind go? (laughs) What do you think about, uh, how do you like, do you start hyperventilating? Do you like breathe through it? Do you relax? Can you relax? Um, so that, and then also inflation, I feel like that paired with working out, it helps with recovery. So those are like the two benefits (laughs) I've seen. It's 
I, I have a similar, I'm just getting over a head cold a bit. Yeah. Um, but I also wasn't, I haven't been sick in since, or for sure since last August, which is yeah nine months ago. Yeah. Um, and now I, I'm a bit sick and I think it might be because of dehydration. Yeah. But why I hadn't been sick, I think, is because I have been tracking my sleep and mm. previously I wouldn't have... Um, I I was more like oh go 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 yeah yeah, yeah. like I don't need sleep whatever totally. and then I listened to a podcast with Matthew Walker it's okay. like a sleep expert and basically explained all the reasons why sleep is important and I won't get into that now but um my health has been way better since getting at minimum seven hours of sleep yeah yeah because um, before I could go like four and a half then eight and then six and then nine whatever so totally. just being more consistent totally. Um, we have a few more minutes. Yeah. Uh, so I've got two more questions thinking about this podcast being me interviewing passionate people and people who have sort of developed their purpose. Who, who do you know that you would recommend I try to get on the show next? Interesting. TJ. <laughs> I, I had him i had him i've already had him on the nice, show nice nice um, um cheating oh that's a good question um man super passionate people um have you do you know have you heard of richard tate i haven't he phenomenal guy incredible entrepreneur uh he he invented cranium the board game uh, and then he went on to do kind of like a sports drink. Uh, he was at Starbucks. And now he's doing some other VC stuff, uh, but like wildly passionate about life and mm -hmm. pursuit of improvement. And yeah, okay. he's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What book has most impacted your life and why? Good question. I've, or, I started reading a lot lately. Um, I was not a reader. Wait, if, what, what changed that? Uh, there's just so much knowledge out there and it's like mostly free. I mean, books cost money. I get that. Um, yeah. but I didn't read in high school. Like I used cliff notes college. I kind of read to get by. Um, it just wasn't relaxed. Like I just, I think, I think I'm self, I self diagnosed myself as ADD. And so mm -hmm. it was hard. It's just hard for me to sit still. So that was part of it. Um, but then I just like got getting the mindset of reading, um, and right, I mean, for me right now, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the book that has like been the most influential is, um, uh, gosh, there's just so many good books. There's, uh, ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday is really fantastic. Uh, I read that every year. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about it. I've uh, it's the premise is just like, <clears throat> um, like how to, like how to stay hungry and humble, um, to be ambitious, you know, and gracious. Uh, so these kind of dualities, um, as you, as you go throughout life, instead of just being an asshole, um, <laughs> not, not that I am one, but just a good reminder to like, keep yourself, um, in a, in a, in, in a, in a good minds mindset. Um, you know, business wise, Ray Dalio's new book principles is pretty, pretty fascinating. It's pretty extreme about open transparency, um, from a business management perspective, the advantage, um, is an incredible book. I'm reading this fascinating new book uh, called who about like how to hire people and retain talent mm -hmm. as we've started, like wouldn't be relevant when you have one person in your company, but yeah. now that we're scaling, it's like, Oh, I gotta get the, I gotta like, and that's what I think is great about read like books. It's like, Oh, here's all these experts. 
I could read a book on five experts, you know? Yeah. So that's, I love that. Very cool. Thank you. Um, where can people find more out about Mir? Yeah. Uh, Mir.com, M-I-I-R.com, uh, on Instagram, at Mir. We're on, we are on Facebook, but Facebook's Facebook. Yeah. I, don't, I deleted my Facebook account a year and a half ago, <laughs> so um, I'm not there. Um, yeah, Instagram is probably the most engaging place. Our podcast, uh, Mirror's podcast, is on iTunes. What's uh, the name Spotify. of that again? It's called the Empowerful Podcast. Uh, my wife and I host it and have a great, grand old time. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for having a chat today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bub on Purpose podcast. If you would like to get show notes from the learnings that I hope you gathered during this conversation, you can email bubonpurpose at gmail.com and you will get a response with all of the show notes. Make sure to title the subject of your email something like show notes or your grandma's cookie recipe, your friend's dog's middle name, or really anything. I'll get back to you. Also, I would love if you would send me your suggestions of what you did or didn't like or who you think I should interview next on the podcast. And again, please send that to bubonpurpose at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I want to leave you with something I've been thinking about. My conversation with Brian led me to remember the quote by Soren Kierkegaard, in which he says, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So I'll leave you with a question. Why are you worried about what's ahead if it will make sense looking back on it? Uh-huh.